Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. And in addition to Ben being on the podcast, I also have a special guest. This is freelancer Stephen Elmer. He can also say hello to the people. Hello, podcast people. How's everybody now, doing? <laughs> now, before we get started, I would love for you guys to plug your podcasts or whatever else you're up there doing. Ben, I would like to start with you. Where can we find your work? I think you've got a very special plug today. Can you let us know what's going on, Ben? Yeah, this so this isn't totally car-related, and by that I mean it's not related to cars whatsoever. But I'm going to be publishing a graphic novel this year through Scout Comics, and we are slated to publish later in the fall. But before that happens, we're running a Kickstarter campaign to pay for the art for the graphic novel because comics are expensive. So if you want to find out more about the book, which is called Code 45, you can go to code-45.com, which is where the Kickstarter campaign is. It is going live on March 3rd. If you want to find out more about the book itself, which is about a woman who is a metro driver in montreal and falls into a world of drugs dragons and hallucinations uh in the tunnels underneath the city you can go to the code 45 facebook page i'd really appreciate your support and just take a look at the book and see what you think and uh if you have any feedback you can get in touch with us through all the regular podcast channels so remember code-45.com and steve where can people find all the work that you've been um writing and putting out there well first of all let me say ben that that sounds wicked um, now what I'm doing, you can find my work a bunch of places these days, uh, mostly at TFL, the fast lane. Um, I'm on TFL truck and TFL off road, two different YouTube channels. I'm putting out all kinds of video content and then, uh, on the pages over at autotrader.ca these days as well. So yeah, I'm, uh, always pumping out new, uh, videos about trucks and SUVs. So, and it's good. And sure you check it out. It's good stuff too. So I highly recommend you do take a look at it. I'll jump in here, too. Uh, you can find my work at autotrader.ca. And the main reason I brought Steve on the podcast is because he is um, he is a truck savant, as far as I'm concerned. And when me the and him savant, used to work... You make him sound like the rain man of trucks. Like, what exactly is that? <laughs> Absolutely, man. This guy knows as much as there needs to be known about trucks. And when, I, when he and I used to work together, we've known each other pretty much my entire professional career. Uh, we worked together at Auto Guide. And, um, man, he knew everything about trucks, and we used to have these really in-depth conversations about trucks. So Where, hopefully where you learned nothing, can... right, Sammy? Yeah, eventually my eyes glazed over after he said, like, torque for the millionth I appreciate, time. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, appreciate that. I mean, I guess my only real claim to any truck knowledge is I've pretty much gotten every single truck stuck in some form, uh, some <laughs> way. Well, if that makes me a truck savant, then I'll, I'll take it. If you're, not it makes you a stuck, pro. if you're not getting them stuck, you're not doing it right. That's what I've always felt. I, that's it. And the other reason we brought you onto the podcast today is because you just drove a brand new 2020 model year truck. Can you please explain what um, what new truck you've been driving? Heck yeah. So uh, I was just down in uh, southern United States in Mississippi and in Louisiana with Nissan. And we drove the new 2020 Titan XD. Um, so as you guys probably know, the big news for the XD is that it dropped that five liter coming. So there's no more diesel oh, in the wow. Titan X. Well, yeah, think, which is, I mean, that's, that's deal, a great right? choice. I think. I also think it was a good choice because that engine sadly was underwhelming. Um, I, I just, you know, I almost feel bad for Nissan because 
they had a lot of eggs in that basket, I think. And, and I think the tie-up with Cummins was awesome. But I don't think that engine ever quite lived up to what it should have been. You know, it, it was thirsty. The power was good, but it wasn't as good as, as it could have been. Uh, yeah, the, the Cummins thing just never worked for them, sadly. And, and you know, when, when you put a legendary name like Cummins in the in the in the Diesel World legendary on a truck, and that truck fails to, like you said, meet any of the metrics that truck buyers would expect for that motor, I mean, that's kind of it, it's it's a double disappointment. For sure. And when you release a truck and you claim that it's like a heavy half ton, it's it's supposed to be a little bit more than a half ton, and yet an F one fifty with a three and a half EcoBoost can tow more than it. And this thing has a five liter V8 Cummins. You know that story just doesn't play. No. Uh, so yeah, Nissan just couldn't couldn't keep that engine uh, around, and obviously it wasn't selling. Now refresh my memory, uh, Steve. The one of the big issues with why the Titan XD couldn't tow had or had a lower tow rating than one would expect. Wasn't it a gross vehicle weight issue? Wasn't it a very heavy platform to begin with? That's exactly it. So here's the funny thing. I spent a lot of time talking about this when the Titan XD first came out. That what they did is they made the frame bigger. It's 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 thicker than the half-ton Titan. The brakes are much bigger. The axle tubes are bigger. Everything on the XD is bigger. Um, so yeah, to your point, it's also much heavier. And that's the issue, right? If you add weight to your tow vehicle, you take away weight that you can actually put in your trailer. Um, but here's the thing with the real world, right? With that truck, if you load up 12,000 pounds behind a Titan XD and 12,000 pounds behind an F-150, it's going to feel better in the Titan because the Titan is way heavier, much more planted. That's the one thing where like the aluminum strategy from Ford is interesting because taking weight out of the tow vehicle on paper allows you to tow more, but in the real world doesn't actually feel better. So like the XD had its purpose in the mm -hmm. real world. But it's really hard to tell that story because on paper it just doesn't play. And sadly, people love to look at which number is bigger, you know? Yeah, for sure. Do you think that if Nissan was a company like Ford that already had a strong truck program, they might have been able to find a niche for a model like the XD? I, I, I kind of think that maybe this was just too ambitious and maybe the audience for it was too small. I mean, at least at least in terms of the people who are going into Nissan dealerships. For sure. And I mean, I think that when you're Nissan and you're Toyota, you're fighting an uphill battle. Like it sucks to say this, but in the North American market, right away, Nissan and Toyota have a stigma against them. They're not, you know, the home brands. They're not the homeboys. So, you know, they always have to fight these these extra battles. And I feel like, like you just said, if the Titan XD had have come from F-150 or from Ford, if they had have introduced a heavy half Ford, people probably would have eaten it up because it was a Ford. But Nissan can't afford to do stuff like that. They don't have that cachet that Ford does, right? So if they make plays like that, they got to be really smart plays. And the XD was a good idea with bad execution, I think. Well, I mean, it's important to bring up that the XD isn't gone. It's just gone with that di that diesel version of it is is gone. There's still going to be an XD just with a 5.6 liter V8 now, right? Exactly, exactly. So yeah, let me I mean keep on rolling with that. So I, that's the truck I just drove. So here's the thing. They got rid of the diesel. They kept the gas. Um, they kept the truck essentially the same. So all that stuff I was talking about is still true. It still has much bigger brakes, a much bigger frame than the half ton. It's still aimed at the towing uh, segment. The new max tow rating is 11,500 pounds, I believe, right, right in that area. Um, so again, the number isn't huge. But if you're actually going to be consistently towing 11,000 pounds, 
I, I totally would recommend that truck because it just does feel super solid with the trailer. What, what's, uh, but what's, there's something what's else. The, oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, so I just want to mention the engine real quick, too, because it's actually kind of funny what they did. So the power numbers technically didn't change, but before, if you put premium fuel into Nissan's V8, uh, it would just give you the same power output. For 2020, they've added some type of you know chip or whatever it is in the ECU, which reads premium fuel, and now it gives you about 410 horsepower. So they got about, uh, I guess that's almost 15 horsepower just by using premium. So that's the, the only difference for 2020 is if you put premium in, you get, you know, a little bit more power. Is, is there a compelling reason to buy this truck versus a three quarter ton domestic? I mean, that's also a tough thing because where the Titan XD starts in like the price scale, um, you can get a pretty decent 2,500 or F-250. Um, and yeah, those trucks just frankly are going to be a little bit better, I think, a little bit stronger in the power department. Um, the, the the other thing I, I got to say about the Nissan is the warranty. That might be enough to sway me. They do have a five-year bumper-to-bumper warranty. Um, that's the best in trucks. So, I mean, I'll give them that. But you might hear me hemming and hawing here. <laughs> At the end of the day, to ask you to spend my own money, I, I'd probably still get a domestic 2500 that's uh, that's quite the that's quite the the statement. I found it so interesting the way you describe um, towing in in this thing versus say a fifteen hundred or, or an F one fifty. Yes, it's heavier, but when you've got all that, when you're towing all that weight, you do want the weight or, or the extra brakes, the extra braking provided by something like what's found in the XD. Am I wrong? Isn't no, that absolutely. what provides? Isn't that what provides that confidence? They, they- for sure, man. And I mean, you know, it takes power to pull a load, but stopping power is something we don't talk about, you know, enough, I think. And obviously having a big old brake rotors is just going to help you stop that load. However, when you do get up into those weights, you also have trailer brakes. You know, every one of those trailers has to right. have trailer brakes. You yeah. also have an extra set of brakes behind you. So it's it's not a moot point, but once you add the trailer brakes, you know, they're they're doing a pretty good job for you. I actually cool. uh, on my on my LS swap that I'm doing on my Grand Wagoneer right now, I decided at the same time to go to a hydro boost brake setup because I am going to be towing with the vehicle and it has a relatively short wheelbase already. It not to mention brakes that are you know designed in the '60s. So uh, rather than just stick with a standard traditional braking setup, this one uses the um, hydraulic fluid for the power steering to provide extra braking force. And it wasn't cheap to do, but I, I, as per Sammy's point, I'd rather have the braking and uh, maybe not need it than need it and suddenly I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, 100%, man. That's, uh, you know, better to be safe for sure. Uh, additionally, yeah, what? That Titan, we had a chance to tow a bunch of trailers, which was cool too. So we were able to load up 10,000 pounds on a gooseneck. Um, that's another thing I think the Titan XD does better than any other half ton. If you're really stuck on a fifth wheel or a gooseneck, uh, the Titan offers that as standard equipment, which doesn't come from anyone else. So, yeah, that is nice. You know, that's, advantage. that's really impressive, actually. I was wondering what trim level um, at XDs you were testing out. Um, so I drove a couple different ones, but I was mostly in the Pro 4X, the off-road okay. version, and uh, the Platinum Reserve, the, the top-of-the-line luxury version. 
Now, if I remember correctly, the, the Pro4X has a couple of, um, I think, unique features features for it, including like a hill descent control, as well as a electronic locking rear differential. Is that is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah you nailed the first two. And then it's a, a you know, unique suspension, uh, skid plate up front, 33-inch um, general grabber tires, pretty standard sort of, uh, you know, first-level off-road kit. This is somewhere a bit below than, say, a, a Ram Power Wagon? Uh, yes, this is definitely not to the level of the Power Wagon. This is like TRD uh, the, off-road Toyota Tundra-style stuff. Exactly, yeah, TRD off-road. I mean, F- FX4 from Ford. Um, oh, wow. In that neck of the woods. Maybe, maybe Power Wagon. Or, sorry, not Power Wagon, uh, Rebel. Uh, Rebel as well. Even though oh, the Rebel is okay. actually step forward too but uh yeah it's it's not a, it's not a crazy off-road package but it's always nice to have those packages baked in especially just to get the rear locker you know right from the factories yes yeah. nice. and, and what's the interior like on the luxury truck because the last uh nissan titan i drove was singularly unimpressive from a trim perspective inside especially compared to vehicles like the ram 1500 which have really kind of raised the bar in the full-size segment for sure. So I, I definitely don't think it's as nice as the Ram. However, um, for 2020, they did update the interior as well. So bigger infotainment screen. I believe it's a 10-inch uh, touchscreen now. The previous system, I was never a fan of either in the truck, and that's been replaced now with the new Nissan infotainment system, which my experience with was really good. I thought it was a lot better than the old one. Uh, and then another little thing they did was the gauge cluster has been revised and everything just has this really kind of sharp look to it now. Just really nice looking gauges. So the interior is definitely nicer. Uh, still not quite Ram 1500 nice, but it is it has come a long way. And then the seats. Uh, I don't know how much yeah. you guys have spent in the front seats of this truck, how much time. But they're super nice seats. Like Nissan is killing it when it comes to the driver's seat. And, and no, what it is what's, be, it used to be this zero gravity seat? This I don't know if this is a gimmick or not, but it's a hundred percent a gimmick. Anytime you attach the term zero gravity to an automobile <laughs> part, it is one thousand percent a gimmick. But yeah, if they if they're comfy, I mean, you don't have to. Yeah, they can be. You don't have to call them zero gravity. <laughs> is that even something I want? Like, would I want zero gravity in a car? It sounds like I'm going to get yeah. stabbed in the eye okay. by a pen. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if there's zero gravity or not, but uh, they felt real nice on my butt. <laughs> That's the tagline of our podcast, by the way. Boom. <laughs> Very cool. We it try to work it in. <laughs> yes. It is interesting to talk about the uh, the Titan, and it's just it's, – it's so cool to see a, a truck that's, like, new from the fresh – I mean, relatively new from the ground up. This new generation refresh seems to be pretty decent, but – like where does Nissan go from here and how do they how do they survive in a truck market that doesn't seem interested in them right for sure and i mean so if i can take it a little bit off topic here but still in the Nissan world did you guys see the frontier news because there was big frontier news that broke today as well, well i was about to say that this is a company that has the newest and the oldest trucks on the, <laughs> on the market right now so what, well, what's the frontier news so they're making a really kind of interesting move with Frontier. So the 2020 Nissan Frontier is the exact same truck. They are not replacing it yet. However, there is a brand new powertrain in the truck. So what they're doing is they're taking the next-gen powertrain. It's a 3.8 liter V6 and a 9-speed auto. And they're putting it into the existing truck for one model year. 
In 2021, the brand new truck will be revealed. But for 2020, <laughs> you're going to get an old Frontier with a new engine. Do you think and that's which, because they know, had like a factory somewhere they needed to shut down and stop making that old V6? I, I have no idea. That's maybe part of it. It might be, you know, emissions. Maybe there's something to do with oh, fuel economy. That's a good point. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like a plan A. It seems more like a plan <laughs> B or maybe. <laughs> it does. You're 100% right. It feels like a plan B or C. Why do you put, and, and I don't know. I mean, we've all seen a frontier in our lives. There's no way you would look at that and be like, yeah, that's got the new engine in it and be like, wonderful. There's no like, way you would look at it and be like, yeah, that's a plan A. Like, I, <laughs> I think that would be an amazing slogan. Frontier. It's not a plan A. Fourth well, chance credit available. <laughs> so, that's so interesting that they would pull that. I couldn't think of any precedent anywhere else in automotive where, where you know, the next-gen powertrain went into the last vehicle. Because then the next thing is, if I'm the customer, like, and I know this is the plan, am I not just going to wait until next year when oh, the you're new totally truck comes? You're totally going to wait. You're totally going to wait. I mean, the only way I think this works as a strategy, and I hesitate to use that word, is if they <laughs> offer crazy incentives to move whatever inventory of bodies and chassis they have left and yeah. just get them out of the way. And, like, that's the buyer who's going to buy this. It's going to be someone in December next year who's like, Thinking about buying a truck and they walk in and it's going to be 12 grand off of a Frontier. For sure. And yeah, exactly. And that's where I don't get it. I guess they were probably just looking to, you know, have some kind of news. Frontier has been so quiet for a while. So they figured this is the, the what they could do, but the truck just wasn't going to be ready yet, right? Yeah, you're definitely so I'm, right. I'm still- I, I, I totally agree. And, I mean, the difference now is the old one was a V6 that made 260 horsepower, 260 horsepower, and this new one makes 310 or something like that. Correct. Which, which big, to be fair, I believe is best in the segment, although I think the GMs make, like, 306. So it's yeah, best it's in close. segment by a couple of horsepower. Okay. I would think, though, Sammy, that the biggest difference between this drivetrain and the old one won't necessarily be power, although it's there, obviously, but it's going to be a lot smoother and quieter and probably, like Steve was saying, a lot more efficient. Well, 9-speed automatic will definitely help in that regard, if not, right? If I'm not mistaken, it's going from a 5-speed to a 9-speed. <laughs> I think the current needs a five speed so it's you know it's real stepping up i have, I have a, here's another you know you were saying you can't think of any time in automotive history where something like this has happened can you think of the last yeah. time a vehicle doubled its transmission ratios in <laughs> yeah, a single yeah. model year <laughs> yeah true i don't know it might have been the yaris but I think it went <laughs> this yeah. is actually really interesting i'm reading some people are suggesting that nissan is is is, is i just think they're setting the bar kind of low but they're claiming a 10 percent mile per gallon improvement which I think is kind of not enough for this, but well, you maybe. You wonder like what they're doing with diff ratios and whatnot. Like if they're just letting that be whatever it was with the five speed and not touching it for this platform, because who knows what it would cost to retool for that. And they probably have a huge, again, yeah, warehouse would... filled with old ratios. They just want to get rid of. Yeah. It's a good question what the rear end will be, but I imagine they'll have to change the rear end. I, I doubt that they could I... just throw the knife. I mean, you think that's so. A great question. I... You'd think so until you realize that this isn't a plan A. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very true. Everything's on the everything is on the table now. <laughs> true. Yeah, fair enough. And yeah, that's a ten percent improvement with just all the, the the gears added. Imagine once they can work with the aerodynamics on a you know twelve year old body design too. Yeah, for sure. Now, so yeah, I, 
I'm excited that there is Frontier news. I mean, I guess I'll give them that, and uh, it'll be interesting to drive the new powertrain. But uh, yeah, I'll be way more excited in 2021 when we get the whole new truck. Okay, but now here's the next thing we brought you onto the podcast to talk about: the recently announced GMC Hummer EV. Steve, we just saw this thing. Uh, like it's huge news. It just debuted during the Super Bowl. What else can we Correct. can we talk about when it comes to this uh, this truck? The the weird thing about this is that Hummer is coming back as a model, not a brand. So it's going to be the GMC Hummer EV, Eesh. which is you know, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just way cheaper to introduce it as just a model rather than to bring back the whole company. But that's kind of a you know, it's a weird thing for GM to do. I think. Yeah, I agree. And especially to invoke like the Hummer name, why not just? go with something brand new but anyways uh there is also a lot of you know cachet built up in hummer so i guess i'll give them credit there um but what we know is that the hummer ev is coming it's going to be a pickup truck it's going to be all electric it's going to have 1000 horsepower uh they advertise 11,500 pound feet of torque (laughs) um i've seen i've seen a bunch of articles and actually an engineering explained video talking about this already they're kind of debunking it um if you if you take any HD truck and you do the, the the math to figure out what the torque is actually at the wheels, it's generally like in the thousands of pound feet. Usually, the number that we're talking about is like the torque it's making at the crankshaft before yeah. it goes through all the. So, anyways, if if that's the math that they're using, you know, eleven thousand five hundred is a little bit disingenuous. It'll probably be closer to eight or nine hundred pound feet of torque, which um, is still a but, lot. <laughs> It's still a ton. It's absolutely still a ton. I mean, electric motors, right? That's what they're amazing at. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the only other number we actually have is three seconds, zero to 60, which frankly is almost irrelevant for someone who wants to actually buy a pickup truck to do work with it. Completely but, irrelevant. You know, that, that's where that's where I think this conversation should go is, is are these electric trucks, you know, really ready for someone who has to work them hard? It's one thing for a guy to buy it and los angeles and cruise around downtown in it but like is it is is it really going to take over at the work site and i i really don't know if that's ready for the prime time yet you know you know i i completely agree when i look at this truck the the only two questions i have are how much can i tow and for how long i want to know what kind of impact it has on the vehicle's range when i'm towing ten thousand pounds because having 100 million pound feet of torque is great but if i can't use it for more than 10 minutes i don't i'm not interested 100%. 100%. And that's the exact issue with electric pickup trucks is just like with gas pickup trucks, right? If you put a big trailer on, so yeah, your range goes way, way down. And at TFL, actually, at TFL Truck, we published a great video talking with the Tesla Model X where we actually couldn't get between two superchargers and we had to turn around and go back in Colorado because the trailer behind the Model X was just sucking up way too much juice. Wow. I mean, it's... It's one thing for a Model X to not be able to do it because they have enough early adopters and and whatnot at Tesla and people who aren't really working these vehicles hard to absorb the complaints of people who actually try to tow. But when we're talking pickup trucks, it's an entirely different segment. Exactly. And I mean, that's that's where I see the issue, right? Is And, and I don't know if, if this drive towards electric pickups, because don't forget, we have Ford working on electric pickup trucks. We have Rivian. We have Tesla, of course. Uh, we have all these electric pickup trucks coming. Don't forget the Bollinger, the right? The, uh, the Bollinger. Bollinger, yeah. <laughs> a, little, a 
little bit different. Uh, still pretty cool, don't get me wrong, but a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a big push towards all these electric trucks, and I just can't decide whether it's really driven by consumer demand or for some reason these companies just like saw something shiny and now they're all just like egging each other on, you know? I, I personally don't think any EV is in any EV production is driven by consumer demand for major automakers. I think it's almost all regulatory. And especially if they're selling in California and they want the tax credits and the emissions credits and all that stuff. Uh, For the smaller boutique companies like Rivian, I think it might be demand driven. I think there's potentially a market for a 4x4 off-road type of electric vehicle. Because if if your truck's big enough, you can put a big enough battery in it and get really decent range that way and not so much worried about the weight. But when we start talking about towing, it becomes a much more complicated issue. It does. And I mean, another aspect of it, and this might seem like a simple thing, but, you know, I was looking at a supercharger the other day uh, behind my hotel where I was staying, and the superchargers are absolutely not set up for a truck and a trailer. No, not at all. They're usually just (laughs) If you have a 20-foot trailer on and you pull straight in, you're going to end up blocking the the rest of the superchargers or blocking the driveway or whatever, right? So that's just another, like, you know, it seems like a small thing, but logistically, that means Tesla's going to go have to go out and retrofit a whole bunch of superchargers. The the easiest way in my head is just to make the cords really, really, really long. But uh, I, don't know. I don't know how easy that is to do either. Yeah, I wonder yeah. what kind of resistance you have inside those cables when you start multiplying it with the amount of voltage that they're using. And it's yeah. all of a sudden you got people who are, you know, it's a, they're, they're frying themselves to death because they, they bought a truck they wanted to tow with. And it's really bad PR. <laughs> It is bad for you. Sure. So, and I mean, I I think I I do want to just outline the pros of electric trucks because there certainly are a lot of good things. And you mentioned off-road, Ben. For off-roading, there's a whole bunch of reasons why electric trucks are awesome. I mean, you get a big heavy battery, but you can put it right in the floor. So you can make the CG super low on an electric off-roader, number one. Number two, if you have in-wheel motors or even if you just have one electric motor on each axle, you can essentially like imitate a locker just using the electric motors. Yeah. You can have the electric driving the two wheels on one side of the vehicle one direction and two wheels the other direction. Like you can do so many wicked things that you just kind of can't do with internal combustion. So, you know, I do really hope that the future of electric, you know, keeps on pl- plugging ahead and kind of works out because I think that electric vehicles will actually make off-roading especially uh, a lot better. And, you know, I think that I didn't used to think this way. And I'm going to say something that I don't think I've ever said on the podcast. I used to really not believe in hydrogen fuel uh, because as it stands, for the most part, it takes more energy to generate hydrogen fuel than that fuel actually contains within itself. But if if you look at all that we're talking about, like we're talking about charging problems and battery size and all this, if you keep the electric motors and replace the batteries with a hydrogen fuel cell, you suddenly eliminate 90% of the problems with electric vehicles. And the more I think about the issue, the more I come to realize that battery powered EVs seem like an interim step in the same way that hybrid cars are an interim step between what we have now and what's next in terms of what the general public will adopt. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, hydrogen, still the big setback is once again infrastructure. But once the infrastructure is introduced, it's simple. It's like gas, right? It's just like what you do now. Pull up to the station, fill up, get out of there. You're good to go. Yeah. And then you get those benefits that I mentioned, having you know electric motors actually powering the wheels. Then you can do all that crazy off-road stuff. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did I just see the hurricane, the hurricane turn from Rivian. <laughs> yes, but which is like no, kind it of ta- it was the tank but, turn in the Rivian, but the hurricane oh, turn in a tough in a. You're right. GMC? You're right. You're absolutely right. The, the hurricane, yeah, the, the, the the GMC thing is just pure bogus PR. That is not a real thing. That is says every right. single rear wheel drive vehicle has a hurricane turn built into it. Yeah, where if you turn hard enough and fast enough, the inside wheel is going to break itself. Basically. <laughs> it's so true. But the Rivian thing is cool because again, on that truck, the they can actually have the the wheels on one side of the truck turning the opposite direction as the wheels on the other side of the truck. Which, you know, for going in circles, stationary is one thing. But if you're actually parked on a trail or something off-road and you're just able to make little tiny corrections and point your nose in a different direction, like, that's actually pretty cool. That's a bit of a game changer. Exactly. Or if you do need to turn around on a really tight trail because there's a blockage up ahead, something you can't get past, uh, or you need to get back because someone's sick and you don't want to get to the other end of the trail where maybe there's no one to help them. I mean, that's, again, a, a spot where that can really become useful. Yeah. So circling back, I mean, bringing it back to the Hummer, that's another question I've kind of had already is that is GM going to make the Hummer off-road focused? Are they going to make it work focused? I mean, I think anything with the Hummer badge on it should be decent off-road. I mean, the H2 had 42 degrees of approach angle. Like The H2 was actually pretty dang good off-road for all the flack that that thing took. It's it's really going to depend on what kind of a platform I think they throw under it, whether it's something they've developed in-house, whether it's something they're borrowing from someone else. I mean, that because the H2, you know, they had to make do with the, the platforms they had at the time. It, there was nothing bespoke about the vehicle except for the styling. And uh, then they did a lot of suspension work to make it off-road capable. But when they have this EV, theoretically, it could be a clean slate design, which means they could make it really badass right out of the gate. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. And I'm not exactly sure what is underpinning it. I mean, this is probably the first of I'm imagining a lineup from GM um, of electric trucks and SUVs. So this is probably the first vehicle. This will be the underpinnings for hopefully other things. I can see, a you know, an all electric Escalade in the not too uh, distant future. It's interesting, too, that uh, GM chose to go this route with their electric vehicle, their electric SUV, compared to what Ford did with the Mach-E. True. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Mach-E much more performance focused. Not, not no connotation of work there at all, right? Which yeah, and no off road capability to speak of. Yeah, and some strange design. It's very <laughs> I don't know strange. What you guys, I, still I still haven't gotten over the Mach-E. I can't. I can't look at it and just see it as like a normal car. It just looks strange to me. Still, it's not it, something that I think is. I, I I tend to agree with you. I don't. I don't really think that it's necessarily going to, you know, 20 years from now, people aren't going to be saying, oh, remember when the Maki came out and changed everything? I don't think anyone's going to, I don't think anyone will ever say those words. And like, I always just think, why not just make an all electric Mustang? Like you have a beautiful design, just run with it. Would anyone really care? Like, why I think, you yeah. make I think collectively the, the collateral damage uh, among boomers would be, uh, incredible i think you'd probably lose 20 <laughs> percent of them the first week 20 percent of them to cardiac arrest and then maybe another 10 percent from chronic complaining over the next six months uh fair enough i mean do you think do you think corvette lost anyone going mid-engine do you think there's anyone out there who's like crusty and old and saying you know corvette as corvette's only a corvette if the engine's in the front i think i think yes i think a small i think it's a small number I think, but they did lose some people. But I think that yeah. mid-engine versus a full electric conversion, 
I feel like that the, pushing it to EV just goes that much farther. And uh, is there, you're right. You're right. Uh, anything else you want to add to the uh, to the conversation there, Steve or Ben? Uh, no, I I, I think uh, I, I'm I'm said what I had to say about the Hummer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think me too. I mean, like I said, I'm just excited for it. I'm always excited for anything in the off road space, and right. uh, I just hope it's as good as it is it is it could be. You know, I'm I'm worried it'll just be more of a mall crawler with the Hummer badge on it. But we'll wait for May twentieth to see. I guess. They got LeBron James for the uh, commercial, which I think is kind of impressive. Uh, I guess we'll find out more in May as to what his yeah, connection to this all is. Yeah, right. I thought that was a bit of a weird tie-in. But I guess when you do the Super Bowl, you need a celebrity of some kind, right? Right. Uh, ben, you also have a car to talk about, a truck that I think Steve would love to, t- to, to join you, uh, join you, join you. Oh goodness, I'm having a stroke on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> would like about to the electric Mustang. Stop thinking about yeah. it. <laughs> um, a, a, a truck that maybe Steve would has some experience with. This is the Toyota 4Runner. Now, you've, we've never talked about the 4Runner on the podcast before, and uh, I'm eager to hear what your take takeaway was, was with it. So, the, you said it's the twenty, as you said, it's the 2020 Toyota 4Runner, or it's the 2015 Toyota 4Runner, or it's the 2012 <laughs> Toyota 4Runner, because. <laughs> All of these vehicles share nearly everything about each other. Um, it, it's not completely fair because for 2020, they did do a mild restyle of the 4Runner inside and out. Uh, the vehicle's platform remains the same, but it did get uh, nicer infotainment inside. It's got a bigger screen. It's got CarPlay and uh, Android Auto and all that stuff. The gauge cluster is a little different. They put in a little um, LCD display between the the analog gauges so it has a little bit of off-road functionality built into that uh but other than that um it's still very much the same uh forerunner you've always been able to buy and at first when i picked it up i did a little bit of a road trip with the vehicle i took it up north and drove around on some snowy gravelly roads and whatnot the at first i was kind of charmed by the fact that it is it, it's still a very basic vehicle Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing super fancy about it. I had the Venture Special Edition, which blacks out some stuff, gives you special wheels. You get a Yakima um, cargo r- rack on the roof. Um, and it also, it's built off of the TRD off-road premium model. So you get all of the TRD off-road gear plus the premium interior stuff. So it had fake leather seats and seat heaters. Uh, and you also get, my vehicle was uh, op- optioned with the Kinetic Dynamic Suspension System. So that's like a hydraulically controlled sway bars that uh, it tightens you up on the highway, but you can loosen them up on your off-road if you want better suspension articulation. So all hey, this that stuff... Sounds, that sounds somewhat modern for a, for a truck that you're yeah. kind of ragging on. Well, it's been available on the Land Cruiser and some Lexus models for a while. Um, but what's weird about the suspension, this is semi-unrelated, you can't get that on the TRD Pro, which is like the step above off-road for mm. the Forerunner. That one has its own kind of bespoke stiff suspension system that doesn't have any adjustability. It's kind of weird that like theoretically the, the TRD off-road is a little bit better off-road and on-road. Like that, that was the compromise, I guess, whereas the TRD Pro, they were just like, no one's ever going to drive this on the highway. <laughs> um, but uh, the the... The more I drove the vehicle, the more I started to realize that it is in no way competitive with any other SUV on the market today, even the Wrangler, in terms of comfort 
or daily drivability or desirability. And I realize it's a very strong statement to make, but there's two things that I, I want to mention about it, about the Forerunner, that really drag it down. And the first is the drivetrain. Uh, Steve and I were talking before the podcast about this, but the vehicle still has a 270 horsepower V6. It's the same motor you used to be able to find in the Tacoma, but it is matched with a five-speed automatic transmission. Oh, my goodness. Oh. It is so old school. It is. I can't think of another vehicle on the market that has an automatic five-speed right now. I, maybe the Frontier has one, but yes. but yeah, uh, not for not long. For not for long. So, <laughs> so and I, I I tried to think. Like I remember for a long time, Toyota was really into keeping super old transmissions in their fleets. Like the Corolla had a four-speed automatic. Remember that? Yeah, the Corolla until like four. 2011 or something. <laughs> I think if you can still get a 2.5 liter uh, or 2.4 liter journey, that will probably have a four speed or a five speed in it. Oh, wow. So these are very rare transmissions. And, you you know, you know, you're thinking like, oh, five speed used to be state of the art. I mean, how bad can it be? Like you're just used to modern stuff and you're just used to having that, you know, those two or three overdrive gears. And I was shocked by how loud and noisy the Forerunner was on the highway because of this five-speed. Like, it was at 2,000 RPM at 75 miles an hour. Like, <laughs> that is not great. That's like – anyway. And that four-liter – I mean, the four-liter has been around forever too. It's old. It's noisy. Oh. It doesn't love to rev. No, I but it's forced to rev. <laughs> And and yeah, you know, yeah, I'm not a fan of that engine. And and uh, to your point about it being old and noisy, um, I also saw less than twenty miles per gallon on the highway. Oh, that's insane! Yeah. Oh my god, it was it was pretty bad. Like it's I, not even a V8. It's it's not no. even a V8. It's not even V8 like levels of power. And I would it would be even more for, it would be a little forgivable if it was really aggressively geared and it felt quick. But it never feels quick. Like, it always felt like I was maybe not going to merge in time. And um, when you're in a vehicle well, that big. You're always digging into the pedal, right? Because you always need more out of that engine. So, yeah, the fuel economy is terrible. Exactly. Exactly. Plus, the adding insult to injury with all the noisiness of the engine, the Yakima rack was super loud on the highway. Oh, like, no. Like, hard to hear the radio loud. <laughs> That's not great. No. And, you know, th- so that, that's that's one big thing about the truck I didn't enjoy. And it's sad because, to my mind, I mean, Toyota is notorious for this. They make great products, but then they just hold on for a super long time. Uh, the Tundra. They could make the best pickup truck in the world, and they choose not to. It's 100% a choice. And that's always bothered me. I mean, the, the Tundra is still rocking the same drivetrain that it came out with when it was originally introduced, which I think is in like 07 or 08. So yep. that, this is Toyota's MO. They could – they have – there's a V8 in the GX, the Lexus GX, which uses a similar platform. I mean the Forerunner, the GX, the Prado, the FJ Cruiser, they all sort of use the same truck platform. It's a body-on-frame design that's kind of shared. So there's no reason why they couldn't – I mean if we're going to get less than 20 miles per gallon, give me a V8. You know, like <laughs> grab the V8. I don't V8. know. Dude, I just had – I just had that GX with, uh, I believe it's a 4.6 liter V8, and let me tell you, it's kind of underwhelming as well. So oh. Oh, maybe yeah, there's yeah, so can... there's no good choices. Like that's what we're learning. <laughs> no, 
I mean, the 5.7 is a monster, but that thing's even worse on gas. But still, like, give me the 5.7 anyway. Yeah, yeah. Give me, give me some reward for all that I'm paying at the fuel pump. Uh, uh, isn't the, the Tundra's V8, the reason it's uh, so poor on gas, has to do with the gear ratios too, right? The rear, the, the rear end on that is super aggressive. Yeah, they, have, they stick a 430 rear end in it, so it's super aggressive. It's all about getting forked out. And they 430, don't care about wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a beastly. <laughs> well, um, it's the the there's a couple other anachronisms about the drivetrain in the Forerunner, and I think this is might be a, a segment, if not world exclusive, or sort of North American exclusive uh, for SUVs. It has a physical shifter for the four wheel drive system. Um, it's actually you have to reach down and grab a knob, and then like you have to kind of tug at it and hope that you're in the right position when you <laughs> release it, and you also have to just know whether you need to be in neutral or not. To get like to get into four low, you have to be in neutral. But to get it into four high, you have to like advance the vehicle. You can't be just seating. Like let's say you're parked and you see some snow or ice up ahead, or maybe you're stuck already. You can't just put it in four wheel high and have it engage. You actually have to move the vehicle towards wherever you're going to get the four wheel drive to engage. So it's an old school transfer case attached to an old school everything else, and then you add in the fact that the interior is just pure plastic. Like, everything about it is plastic. Uh, you don't really have any advanced features other than you've got decent safety gear like adaptive cruise and collision warning. It's not a smooth system because it's married to, like, again, the five-speed transmission. There's only so much it can do. But um, you're paying, like, 50 grand for this vehicle. I think it's like my vehicle was about 46, 47 U.S. And I can't think yeah, of – sorry? They're not cheap. No, and 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 like the, every single other vehicle at that price point is a better choice. Um, the problem that I think the the Forerunner is good off road, and that would be great if it wasn't for the fact that if you look at a vehicle like the Wrangler, FCA has made a real effort to improve the drivetrain with every evolution of that vehicle. And at this point now, where it has the you can get the Pentastar V6 or the really great Turbo 4 that comes with it, both of those drivetrains and transmission setups are way better than the Forerunner. Like absolutely everything about them is more modern, smoother, and just more enjoyable. And when the Wrangler is smoother than your fifty thousand dollar SUV, you have a huge problem. Yeah, that's not great. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what Jeep worked on, right? With the new Wrangler, it was all about making it more livable. And Toyota has done nothing to make that thing more livable every day. No, they haven't um, touched it. Yeah, the only customer I see for the 4Runner, you know, to your point, talking about having to actually, you know, work to get it into 4 high or 4 low or move the vehicle. It has to be somebody who's actually into that kind of stuff. It has yeah. to be somebody who loves off-roading, who loves, you know, the 4x4 system. Because, yeah, if you come in off the street to me in a dealership and you say, I want an SUV, and you have no clue about cars, that's the last thing in the world I'm ever going to recommend. Because, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's expensive. It's old. You know what I mean? It's only for someone who, who, who really kind of loves Toyota and is really into off-roading, I think. And, and, and I'm the, not sure how many of those guys want brand-new trucks anyway. <laughs> and, and the other thing, you know, you're exactly exactly right. And, and if they do want a brand-new truck, they don't want a $50,000 brand-new truck. Um, yeah. But that's the, the, a couple Jeep other that well. sorry Jeep does that really well too offering the base Wrangler sport and then being able to you know you can option just a base sport with a whole bunch of great off-road upgrades yes so they really allow you to buy the base model and then add great like a la carte stuff to it and Toyota doesn't do that either no and, and you know the, a couple of good points about the forerunner I mean 
I, I didn't hate the vehicle, and if we were in a time machine and it was 10 years ago, I'd be into it. But, like, I can't – I have to approach it how someone who's putting all of their money down on a vehicle today would approach it, which is in the context of what else is available. But um, on the highway, I mean, handling-wise, it does handle better than a Wrangler because it doesn't have a solid front axle. Uh, it's it's not any quieter because of that roof rack or the engine, um, which is kind of, again, very, very alarming. Uh, the other thing that's good about it is it's huge inside. Like, the second row is really comfortable. And if you fold down the rear seats, it's like 90 cubic feet of cargo space, which is almost what the previous generation Yukon had to offer, I think. Wow. And it's, it's a smaller vehicle than the Yukon. So they did a good job in terms of being able to uh, maximize the amount of room. But... I look at all of that, and then I look at the price, and then I go back to Jeep again, and I don't even look at the Wrangler. I look at the Grand Cherokee, and you can get a Trailhawk version of the Cherokee for exactly the same money I I would have spent on that 4Runner. And I think that the Trailhawk will take you to 90% of the places that that 4Runner will on a trail. Absolutely. Absolutely. The the big difference between the 4Runner is body on frame. So, you know, give it a bit of credit there just for longevity. And if you yeah. are off-roading, it should be a little bit, uh, you know, more faithful for you. But you're right. The Grand Cherokee is awesome. And then, you know, off-road, it's good. And then once you get it on-road, it's going to be so much more comfortable. Oh, it's going to be better. It, 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 it absolutely devastates the Forerunner in every on-road category. And that's and, yeah. and and that's even like a mid-range, a mid-trim version of the Grand Cherokee. If you wanted to go crazy and add luxury gear, you can do that too. But the the Venture Edition I was driving, that's the top tier. Like you can't get anything more comfortable than that. So again, and this speaks to your point, Steve. What you're saying about um, configurability with Jeep. I think there's like 13 different trim levels for the Grand Cherokee, just like with the Wrangler. So you can go in at any point yeah. you want and get the gear you want to do what you need to do with the truck. Yeah, exactly. And Toyota, for whatever reason, just doesn't offer that many choices. And like you said, if you look at the whole portfolio, right, even Tacoma is feeling a little bit old now, but Tundra's old. Sequoia is old. Oh, Sequoia is ancient. They love having old trucks for some reason. (laughs) Do you think that it's maybe because their sale, they don't do a ton of volume anywhere except Tacoma, which I think is maybe 200,000 a year. And do you yeah. think they're? Do you think they're just like it's not worth the investment? We're not going to penetrate the segment. We can make we're profitable how we are now. I think that's got to be part of it, and it almost ties right back into Nissan at the beginning because you know I feel like there has to be people at Toyota looking at Nissan going, "You guys obviously blew a ton of money on that Cummins deal, and that didn't work for you." So like if that didn't work, you know, teaming up with a really classic strong American brand then maybe we'll just never crack this egg. So I, I think there's something to be said for that. The Toyota says the Tundra is a good half ton. There's nothing wrong with it. It is old, but it's still a good truck. And why touch it, you know? So I, yeah. I, I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that, you know, a lot of the time, and, and I get asked this a lot by, by people, uh, they're like, well, why doesn't this car company make the best car in their segment? Why don't they push it to the limit? Why doesn't everyone have a 707 horsepower muscle car? You know, all, all these questions of like, why doesn't every yeah. car company strive to be at the top of whatever segment they're in? And I think what you just said, it's it's often a case of, you know, they have a budget. They have one. They have the uh, not necessarily a budget, but they have a spreadsheet that tells them, "Here's what we invest, and here's what we get back." And if you're going to put ten billion dollars into something and <laughs> generate a small profit, whereas you can put no money into it and generate the same profit, that's the decision these car companies are going to make. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's always bottom line. And that's what must have drove the, the Frontier decisions, you know, where Nissan probably could have redesigned Frontier five years ago. But they looked at it and said, wow, we're doing more units, you know, this year than we did last year. We haven't touched the truck. So why why are we going to spend the money? Right. It's always dollars and cents at the end of the day. Yeah, and it's interesting because in some ways it's it's an economic short-term argument that ignores the long-term. So you you kind of mortgage your future by not investing now. Uh, you can have the Frontier on sale now, but you won't be able to have it on sale five years from now because you'll run into stuff like um, safety issues or the emission stuff we were mentioning earlier, or it just won't be competitive at all anymore. And then you look at what a company like GM has had to do in terms of tackling Tacoma when they said, okay, we're going to go back into midsize and they they had to spend so much money on the Colorado and the Canyon. And but oh, the yeah. reason the reason they're doing that is not because they wanted to make money that model year or maybe even five model years from then. They wanted to be competitive ten years out. They wanted to be in that segment and be established. And and it's a different type of point of view that a company has to adopt if they really want to uh, make a dent in a market that they've been absent from for a period of time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean I think it's it's hard, man. Yeah. I mean I, I don't know. If I'm Nissan right now, I'm like seriously considering killing the Titan. Whereas what you're yeah. saying, you know, they should probably just hold fast and maybe the truck will eventually kind of come into its own. But if I'm the brand right now, I think I have to literally be looking at it and saying, should we even be in this half ton space? Are we ever going to get anywhere? You know, yeah. and those are those are tough calls. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Um, it's uh, Steve, I have to reiterate, it is such a pleasure to talk to you about trucks you are like i said you have made the podcast 10 times better with your with your expertise and classier um so let's uh i I would love to get our listeners to actually follow some of your stuff as well steve so one more time where can they find your work so most of my work these days is at tfl offroad uh the youtube channel is the most active place but also tflofroad.com uh, we do trucks, but I mean, we also do power sports. So I'm out there testing side by sides, ATVs, PWCs, snowmobiles when they let me. Um, <laughs> yeah, so all kinds that, of stuff. So if you're basically into any of that stuff with wheels, uh, yeah, go check out TFL Off Road. That is awesome. And Ben, I wanted to take this chance to uh, plug your graphic novel again. It's code-45.com. Is that right? That's right. And I hope it's not too crass, but I guess we are doing it a second time. Yes. Um, <laughs> additionally, we'll plug the Unnamed Automotive Podcast website. That's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And when you get there, you can see all of our previous episodes. You can see links to uh, some of the content that we've been working on with the cards that we talk about. And you can additionally subscribe to the podcast using your, your favorite uh, podcast podcast client or podcatcher. Um, there's also an opportunity at the on the website to get in touch with us. There's a contact form there. And you can just fill that out, and it lands right in our inbox. We love getting questions from you. In fact, we we have a ton of questions we can't wait to talk about. Maybe next week we have a little bit more time. And additionally, you can reach out to us on social media. You can find Ben on Instagram. He's at HuntingBenjamin. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Um, And you can also reach out to us via email. That is Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. So that's it for this week's podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you, Steve, for coming on. We yes, can't wait you. to talk to you next. We'll talk to you all guys. next week. Um, ben, what are we going to be talking about next week? Uh, next week, I'm going to be talking about the super exciting Toyota Sienna Nightshade Edition. 
<laughs> yeah. I can't top that, but I do have a new Honda Passport to talk about, which uh, which might have actually fit in this week's podcast. But you know, we we've already gone uh, well over our time our time limit here, so we'll save it for next time. All right. Well, thanks again for everyone for listening, and thanks again, Steve, for being part of it. Heck yeah! Thanks a lot for having me, guys. This was fun. I'm happy to come back anytime if you'll have me. We're looking forward to it. Take care, everyone. All right. See ya.